I think in that time, we were also holding on to the hope that like, we could fix it. There's something wrong, but like, it's fixable. Hi, you're listening to The Rare Life. I'm your host, Madeline Cheney. Today, I have a story episode with Brianna Christian, who has a three-year-old son named Isaac with a rare syndrome. This episode is special in several ways. First of all, Brianna is our very last parent that will have both a story and special topic episode, or at least for the foreseeable future. As most of you know, from day one of the podcast, we've created two episodes with each featured parent. The first being a story episode like this one, and then the second one being a deep dive into a topic that they are passionate about. And starting with season seven, we are going to have one parent on for a story episode and then another one on for a special topic. So really what this will do is it will allow us to have twice as many parents, which will be super awesome. And kind of the main motivation for this is to allow us to have more parents on each season. So currently we have four parents per season. This will allow eight. And I really value having different perspectives and just hearing from lots of different parents. And so I think this will be really great. I'm really excited for it. It's also pretty bittersweet because, you know, as excited as I am about this adjustment and it feels so right, I've also really loved just taking the time to hone in on one parent and their point of view and their experiences with their children. And so in that way, it's pretty bittersweet. So this is our last parent to have two episodes on the podcast. And then another reason this episode is special It is our very first episode to be sponsored by several of you as listeners. A few weeks ago, I posted on Instagram kind of this plea for help in funding both of Brianna's episodes because I'm kind of behind on making episodes and I was like, I can't take the time and effort to focus on sponsorships right now. I need to just focus on content creation. And so I asked you as listeners and as my followers to help in funding those. And the response was just, it's just so wonderful. It's just always an affirmation to me of how great this community is. And I just felt so supported in making these and I'm so grateful. And it was just awesome because with each of those donations, a lot of them had little messages to me and gratitude. And I mean, it's just, It's just out of this world. It was amazing. And so I'm so grateful for each one of those. And so here's a huge thank you to our listener sponsors. Hillary, Carolina, Kaylee, What Mama Saw, Rama, Kyla, Stephanie, Lindsay, Grace, Caitlin, Theo's Mom Heart, Positivity Bias, and six others who remained anonymous. I can't tell you how special this feels for me. I love all of you, and I'm so grateful for your support in creating this episode. If you want to contribute and help to produce episodes in the future, you can DM me on Instagram or just follow the link in the show notes to make a donation. The platform is called Buy Me a Coffee, and I love it because it makes it super easy and simple to just make a one-time donation or to become a monthly donor. 
If you want to support the podcast but would rather do so in a different way, I always love finding reviews of the podcast either on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. So if The Rare Life has helped you in some way, I would love for you to take a moment to go do that and it would just be so appreciated. So thank you to everyone. Okay, so for the last reason this episode is special, because it is with Brianna Christian. She has been a loyal listener for a long time, like basically from the beginning. She is one of my OG followers on Instagram, and I've just loved chatting with her. And so it was great to hear more about her story and her thoughts. In this episode, she shares about the journey that led up to receiving her son's syndrome diagnosis, which started with a textbook pregnancy and birth, and then consisted of months of plateaus and dismissive doctors and an eventual hospital admission. I just think this episode is a really powerful narrative about the crucial role that we play as parents in our children's medical care. Brianna lives in San Diego with her husband, Matthew, Isaac, and his brand new baby brother, Elijah. In fact, Elijah was a whopping 48 hours old when we recorded this episode. I was so impressed that she still wanted to record. Brianna was wearing him while we recorded, so you'll hear some adorable brand new baby sounds in the background. They are an active duty military family, which is actually why they are in San Diego. And Brianna is a NICU and labor and delivery nurse. So in this episode, she also shares how that background impacted her experiences with her son, which I'm so excited to share with you because I know we have a handful of listeners with a similar medical background and have been kind of clamoring for an episode with this perspective. So yay for that. Brianna is a lover of black coffee and of ballet style fitness. All right, let's jump in. Hi, Brianna. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be on here today. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you on. I know we've had a relationship with each other for, I don't know, the past like two years throughout the podcast. So yeah. I feel like this has been a long time coming of us like discussing different episodes and you know your thoughts on them and stuff I've really appreciated like your feedback on them and and your place in the community so I'm excited for us to finally like highlight your story and kind of your thoughts surrounding your son Isaac so I would love to jump in with yes your pregnancy with Isaac and what that was like I know that's how you know a lot of us in the community find out about our children's medical issues and things like that prenatally right and I know that that wasn't the case for you with Isaac, but I do feel like that your pregnancy was a big part of your story. And so if you could just start telling us about what your pregnancy was like and what it felt like, and then we'll go from there. Yeah. Yeah. So even before I got pregnant with Isaac, we had struggled to conceive for about a year. And during that time, I was working as a labor and delivery nurse. And so I was struggling with my own issues of fertility while delivering other people's miracles, you know, their greatest joy. And so it was a huge blessing to be able to see people have that experience, but at the same time, really difficult as a woman struggling with my own fertility issues. So I went through months of fertility treatments prior to conceiving Isaac. 
and I did have a miscarriage during that time. And so we were, you know, just really having, you know, our own emotional struggles, both my husband and I work in healthcare. And so we could see the joy in other people's faces with their babies. But for us, it was just so much more of a struggle. So when we finally did conceive Isaac and the pregnancy, you know, we went through the initial like testing for the first couple of weeks, because it's pretty heavily monitored when you're going through infertility treatments in the very beginning. And we kept getting like, okay, he has a heartbeat, like he's moving. He's like, the sack looks good. Like your hormone levels look okay. And it's like, you're holding your breath for like those Mm -hmm. first 12 weeks, at least like Mm -hmm. every day. And once, you know, we kind of hit this part where they transition you from the infertility clinic to our regular OB clinic, it was like, oh, big deep breath. We made it like, I'm okay. And I mean, as a labor and delivery nurse, I am continually aware of the challenges that other women face and then the challenges throughout our pregnancies. So even though it was the breath of like, okay, this pregnancy has gotten through this hurdle. I'm still so aware of all of the hurdles that we face throughout pregnancy. So I think in knowing that I still was always holding on to the gratitude that we finally had a viable pregnancy that was Mm -hmm. within me. And I was so elated, like just over the moon. So I was super excited and everything that was coming back healthy, which was crazy to me in some ways because I had struggled for so long and it was, we didn't know why. And so it was just like one of those things where when things were coming back, I was like, oh my goodness, I'm okay. Okay. Like I'm okay. Like I can accept and like not be so worried anymore. And so I went all the way to a full-term pregnancy with Isaac. Everything was healthy to the point where like my doctor was chatting with me about his kids by the end of my appointments. Like it was no big deal. And I delivered you know, Isaac in a really wonderful delivery story and everything looked good. And I saw him and I, I mean, when I first saw him, I was like, oh my gosh, I get to keep him. Like he's Mm -hmm. mine. I get to keep him. And I remember I was crying and people were like, oh, she's saying that because like she delivers babies, but I don't think people realize like I got to keep him because I had lost one. And so this one I got to hold in my arms and like he was going to be mine. And so mm. apologize, <laughs> but it was, it was just a very emotional time for me. Cause I was like, I finally got my baby and I was just like overjoyed. And he was just a wonderful, healthy little baby. And it was so relieving. Cause as I mentioned earlier, even before I was a labor and delivery nurse, I was a NICU nurse. So I am acutely aware of all of the things that can happen and do happen without any warning to so many of us as women and parents. And so being able to take my baby home pretty soon after delivery felt like this huge blessing. Like I was like, wow, okay. I feel just so, so deep in gratitude right now because I know all of the things that other people go through. So I think that's so interesting because I think in so many ways you probably felt like out of the woods, right? Like you were out of the woods for losing him. You were out of the woods yeah. for like what you thought, like for medical complexities or disabilities that you saw, you know, yeah. firsthand and worked with in the NICU. So I think that's yes. so interesting that his life started out with just so many like, okay, good. 
okay, yeah. good. You know, and, yeah. and kind of like, okay, we're out of the woods, we're out of the woods. Yeah. Only to later, obviously, I mean, like, up, since you're on the podcast, yeah. we all know. Yes, of course. You know, <laughs> to later to realize <laughs> yeah. that, like, there was other stuff going on. I think that's so interesting, yes. though, that, like, that relief that you felt. Yes, and it's really difficult, I think, sometimes even now, and obviously with, you know, my second pregnancy, but just comparing, like, I had these relieving feelings for so long, and now looking back, knowing Isaac's condition, we've just been always questioning, like, were we crazy? Mm -hmm. What were we missing? And as far as we can understand, science is always evolving, right? But mm -hmm. as far as we can understand, there really isn't a significant difference with the children with Isaac's condition and a typical healthy developing child for those first three months, as far as like you can observe. Now, biochemically, pathophysiologically, I'm not really sure, and in science is kind of still working on that, but for all of the kids with his condition as well, they probably had the same feelings I did. It's something that I think is really hard for so many of us. It's like, yeah. you feel that sense of relief, and then it feels like when you look back, you're like, was I crazy? Did yeah. I miss things throughout? And you kind of nitpick every part of those couple of months and just your pregnancy as a whole. And I don't know how that relates to other parents who perhaps know the condition probably right away. But for us, it was like, after we find out like those first three months, I'm like, it felt all fine. Did yeah. I miss something? Was I crazy? <laughs> like I was a nurse. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I've thought about that a lot. Like when you get a new, not even just like the, the syndrome, you know, like the yeah. overall diagnosis, but like even sub-diagnoses of like, oh, like in my situation, like, oh, and yeah. then like six months later, we find out Kimball's also blind. And it's like, right. it's so jarring because I think like as parents and especially as moms, you feel like you should know that stuff. It's like, how, how did I not know about that? And I think it can feel in some ways like you fail them because it's like, well, if I would have yes. caught that sooner, then maybe we would have known we would have been doing, I don't know, X, Y, Z or just like, okay, like, I feel like I'm so close to this person. I love them so much. And yet I didn't know this huge aspect of them, I think can yeah. feel very jarring. I think like you expressed it, it can cause even some guilt of like, well, I should have caught this and why didn't I? And were we crazy? But I think, I mean, probably most people listening have been surprised or kind of blindsided by a diagnosis, whether that's the syndrome overall right. or noticing that there's anything medically going on, right? Like in Isaac's yeah. case. Or like a sub-diagnosis that can feel really jarring as a parent to be like, why didn't I know that sooner? Yeah, it's still, I think, going to be something that I wrestle with in part of my journey mm -hmm. as Isaac's mom. So after around three months of life, I went back to work. I was an active duty officer, so I went working as labor and delivery nurse. And so I was going back to work. My husband was on continual like mini deployments throughout this time. So we had a family come to help us out with Isaac's care. And we assumed life would continue this way for us. And after the first couple of weeks, we had a normal appointment for Isaac and he had lost a pretty significant amount of weight. And it seemed abnormal, but my doctor said, well, you just went back to work. You know, it could be that he's not taking as much from the bottle as he would from the breast. And so it's a hard transition for him. So it can happen. 
So we had a plan to just follow up in a couple of weeks. And then when we went to that second follow-up, his weight was still about the same, maybe like two ounces up. And he had a little lag with his head control. So for those three months, he had been able to like press through his arms. I have pictures of him lifting up his head. I have pictures of him rolling over. And then it seemed like it slowly just decreased, like the amount of times he was doing those things. So it wasn't an immediate, it was just like, oh yeah, I guess he's not rolling over as much anymore. Or, oh yeah, he like kind of seems to like struggle to hold up his head a little bit. So we ended up getting a referral to physical therapy after that. So he's about four or five months old at that point. And then also a consult to neurology. And, you know, going to those appointments, I remember going to the first PT appointment and they were giving me advice on like activities to do with my son. And I was like, these are things I already do. I don't think this is going to make a difference. Like mm. how to play with your child. And I thought, hmm, like I do this already with my kid. Like, is this the problem? And so that was a little hard for me because I was like, am I doing something wrong? And then we went to the neurology appointment and we did a lot of labs for Isaac. And one of them included the thyroid panel. And so that was going to be sent over to endocrinology at that point. But the neurologist looked at Isaac for what felt like five minutes, looked at me and said, he's fine. Like he's just a little behind. There's a range of abilities for developmental milestones and like, just don't worry about it. You're first time parents, Mm. basically. Mm. (laughs) And he's like, his exam looks okay. And I was like, gosh, okay. Okay. And he said, but his weight, it looks like a problem. So have you gone to see GI? And I was thinking like, GI, like, no, I don't just go with CGI on my days off for fun. But, <laughs> <laughs> but also like my mind wasn't even there at that point. And I was like, am I missing something like huge? And I, you know, as a nurse, I'm like, what am I missing? Because mm-hmm. the whole time we were okay. I thought, you know, like I was mm-hmm. like, we were okay. He seemed like he was well. And I don't know, there was nothing that we knew about from even like metabolic screenings that would have indicated anything was amiss. Anyway, so when the labs came back from the neurologist, he kind of blew us off a bit. And he was just, again, saying like, you know, this all looks normal. There's a slight abnormality in his thyroid levels. So we'll refer you to endocrinology, but otherwise I'll follow up with you guys when he's almost a year old. He said he has some mild hypotonia, but like that can resolve by the time he's a year old. Just make sure you're doing his therapies with him and you'll be fine. Mm. Feed him when he's hungry is basically what he said. (laughs) And so I think if anybody is interested, I did a post about this on my Instagram story about that neurologist and they're free to check that out. But he was going through his own stuff at that time. So I hold no blame to him. Anyway, so we followed up with endocrinology um, about a month later when we were able to and got Isaac started on thyroid medication thinking like, okay, maybe it's just a little bit of a thyroid issue. Like, doesn't make sense for us because neither of us had a problem. He didn't test for anything on his newborn screen for abnormalities in his thyroid levels, but 
you know, I guess maybe things can happen. So we'll give them a little bit of thyroid hormone and hopefully it will make everything better. And so the plan was to recheck in a month. And two days before that appointment, I got an email from that endocrinologist and said, hey, if Isaac's weight isn't up by this point, when you come in, I think we need to have a serious conversation and you guys will probably need to be admitted to the hospital. I was coming back from Christmas break. So this was like the first week of January or second week of January. So we had watched Isaac kind of just plateau with his weight for that five months-ish. He was about the same weight as he was when he was about three months old this whole time. And he was now nine months old. So obviously at this point in time, we knew something was wrong. We didn't understand what was wrong. He had pretty significant hypotonia. He was not developing well. He had developed difficulties with swallowing. Not obvious to most people, but he wasn't able to take a bottle anymore. So he was only able to nurse, which is kind of confusing for, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah for, compared to some kids. But that was creating a lot of strain for us because I was working. So my kid was not able to really eat during the day with the childcare that we had. And people would have to bring him to me while I was at work. And I would like duck out of a room for like 15 minutes to go nurse my baby. And then I would have them like walk around with him for another 15, 20 minutes. And then I'd try to like catch another like 15, 20 minute break to nurse him during my shifts, which I like, thank God for the people I worked with and for my leadership for like allowing that they didn't know at the time. And we didn't really know, but like, they probably saved my son's life for a good period of time. So we're like, yeah, super grateful for our environment of work. And I think that's probably why like healthcare is one of my passions (laughs) forever. Yeah, Feeding issues are so I feel like they're stressful on a level where it's just like it's such a basic part of like a baby and their your life with that baby because it's like that's like the main things that you're in charge of as a parent is like feeding your child and then you know seeing them grow and you know gain weight and stuff and so I think you know we've had our own struggles with Kimball you know kind of plateauing with weight and it's just kind of this frantic feeling of like well what can I do like how do I help him get enough is he starving like it's just, I think it's something that we often take for granted. It's like, okay, so I'll feed my child and then they'll grow and gain weight. Like, it's just so basic. And so I can imagine that for those months of him not gaining weight, not gaining weight. And as a nurse too, like even, yeah. you know, more hyper aware of that was probably just so stressful. Yes. It was just like so stressful, so daunting. And I would, oh my gosh, I felt like a crazy person. I would be wearing, you know, those wearable pumps that mm-hmm. they have. I was wearing those like all day while I was working. <laughs> so if I wasn't nursing him, I would be pumping like a mad woman thinking like, oh, maybe it's my supply or, you know, cause it's like a yeah. thing for us moms. It's like, okay, maybe it's something with me. So I would be like wearing the pumps in the OR while I was doing C-section deliveries <sighs> in a delivery room. And like women would be like getting an epidural and they hear this like like the sound of the pump and I'm like I'm sorry I'm pumping underneath my scrubs here don't worry about it and so I felt like okay I'm doing as much as I can like you know you're like I feel like I'm doing everything like what am I missing yeah so 
I kind of got to that point where he was being reweighed in that clinic. I had kind of just said, I don't know, like hands up, like I've done everything. Like I've gone through my mind of like what I could possibly do for this kid. And if there was anything we could do on a basic level, that was better. And it really was like out of our hands. I had exhausted all efforts. And so they said, okay, you know, his weight didn't improve. It looks like the thyroid hormone didn't help him at all with, you know, really his development or his tone. And so they sat us down with a genetic counselor at that point, which it takes about six months sometimes in our system to get to see the genetic counselor. So even though we were referred a while back, she wasn't able to see us for an appointment until we had this emergency visit, I guess. Oh, wow. So we sat down with her and of course, thinking the first thing she says to us, she says, are you and your husband related? I was like, oh God, I hope not. <laughs> not. Are you about to tell us that we are? Yeah, right, exactly. And I was like, oh it's kind of a weird way to start this, but we were like, no, I hope not. We're both Italian, but like, no, I don't think so. Oh my gosh. And so she's like, okay, well, if there's really no chance of that, we'll plan to do a genetic screening workup and we'll admit him tonight to the peds floor and we're going to do like a full workup on him because it's clear that something's happening and it's not improving and I was like thank you thank Mm -hmm. you for finally acknowledging us and we just were like at our wits end kind of in tears but like kind of anxious anticipation and I think in that time we were also holding on to the hope that like we could fix it like there's something wrong but like it's fixable I don't know there was like we're in medicine like we have drugs we have so many things in the healthcare system now like it should be fixed you know whatever Mm -hmm. his problem is like we'll get a solution and then he'll be better and perhaps that was artificially hopeful So that's how you were feeling when they were like taking you seriously. You were thinking, okay, so good. They'll find the problem so then they can fix it. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yes. Yes. And I was like, okay, I think I knew it was something like he was missing. It felt like he was missing something in his brain and I couldn't put my finger on it, but I was like, it seems to all be a neurological issue. And having been blown off by that neurologist, I was like, I think you missed something. There's something here and we're missing it. And maybe there's like a lab, maybe there's like, I don't know, like a multivitamin and nutrient, like, I don't know, something that we're just missing that he needs to have like a switch turned on. Cause it felt like there was a switch. I don't know how to describe it. Otherwise that wasn't turned on for him because he was there, but it looked like he was struggling with everything he was trying to accomplish if that makes sense. And even like stuff that you'd seen him do before and regressing, which is really interesting. Exactly. That's all like very confusing and abnormal for most progressions of diseases, I think, for some people. So anyway, we got admitted. We spent about 14 days in the hospital, at which point they attempted to draw labs. And my poor little baby got stuck um, like 12, 13 times at least. 
it was really hard. I mean, we, we knew they were trying so hard and we had no like ill will towards anyone trying to draw these labs for us. But at the time he looked pretty ill. Like we knew he looked ill. He was really fragile. He didn't have much tone. He didn't have much muscle mass. He was still smiling and happy though, Mm -hmm. but just, it was clear he wasn't doing well. Anyway, so the doctor's kind of didn't know what to do with themselves because they weren't able to get the labs for so long and then as they were getting them everything was coming up fine it was like (sighs) the stool studies were fine the urine studies were fine the like random the muscle studies were fine like everything (sighs) was okay which is great it's great except it's also not right you're like okay but like but something's wrong though we have to figure out what it is exactly (laughs) it's like one of those weird moments where you're like I'm glad it's okay, but I'm not because something's wrong. And now I, I just want an answer. And yeah. I'm so confused. Yeah. And so towards the end, it felt like they were kind of giving up on us. And his weight was just kind of like going up slowly while he was inpatient, probably because I was just sitting there nursing him all day <laughs> and <laughs> doing not much else. So they did put an NG tube in him to help him with that weight gain at that time and that was hard but it was also okay for me because I Mm. as a NICU nurse I was like we sometimes put NG tubes in and then they come out shortly after you know like it feels like a temporary solution and so I was like I can accept temporary we're helping him gain weight for right now he's getting this feeding tube it'll help him have energy so he can eat more yeah. Yeah. Like I can accept this as a mom, as a nurse, as a temporary solution. Yeah. So we put that in and I could manage that easily. And so we were feeding, I was still nursing him. And then I was feeding him through that NG tube afterwards. And he was kind of gaining weight, but he was mostly getting constipated to be quite honest because they added the formula to it. You know how it works. And mm. so they started to say like, oh, he looks good. He's starting to gain weight. And I was like, I don't think he's actually gaining weight with this extra food. I think he's just just holding on to it, right? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's like still all in his body. I was like, I don't think this is help. Like, I don't think this is it. And he wasn't really like improving any of his other symptoms. It was just Mm. like, he was more full. He was a little bit more uncomfortable with his GI yeah. system. Like all bloated and, and- yeah, he looked bloated. You know, when you're a little kid, you're like, you look a little, you know, bloated here. A little distended. Yeah, a little distended. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought, okay, I mean, it's here. Like, this is an okay thing, but it's not helping. And so the doctors, though, interpreted it differently. And they were like, no, this is, this is great. He's like starting to improve. Like, this is probably going to be what we need to do for him is give him a G-tube. And I was like, whoa, whoa, wait, like, you're talking G-tube. We don't even know what's wrong with him. Like, I don't, again, he's swallowing milk for me. I don't know what's going on, but I don't think it's this. Like, I don't. Mm -hmm. Well, especially when they were doing the feeding tube. And they're like, oh, it's working. And you're like, actually, it's not. And they're like, yeah. let's make it permanent. And you're like, yeah. let's not. 
<laughs> like based exactly. off of that right <laughs> exactly so it just I was like yeah he does like have trouble swallowing from a bottle but I don't really know why like we haven't even addressed why is he having trouble swallowing from a bottle they didn't do like a full I mean he had a swallow study but it was not super conclusive he wasn't aspirating it was just kind of like oh he has some difficulty I was like yeah I could have told you that yeah (laughs) I thought like okay should we be working on that more like is there something intensive I'm not an occupational therapist I don't have that skill so I thought okay like this seems like a more basic problem maybe anyway so they kind of just held their heads on that G-tube need. And then they also added to that thought process that perhaps part of the problem was that he wasn't getting enough from me when he was nursing because I was not, I'm not a big person. (laughs) So they kind of like looked at my weight and they looked at me and were like, maybe she's not eating enough to like Mm -hmm. sustain this kid. And I think that was like really harsh. Like that was one of the hardest moments because as I was saying before, I was exhausting myself as a mom trying to like provide for my kid and I was eating a lot. I had already had those thoughts of like, am I not eating enough? I'm like, you're five months behind me. I've already like thought about this. I've tried to eat more. I know all the things about milk supply, you know, and I've been working on that. So I think that like became one of their prevailing theories though and that was really hard as a nurse and the mom of this child who was suffering and not doing well to have somebody kind of say well it's probably still something you did in that way because I was like already holding on to so much guilt and Mm -hmm. so much shame as a mom as a nurse thinking how did I miss something Mm -hmm. that so big anyways you know we went home with the plan to come back for a g-tube because my husband and I decided like well we'll allow this to happen and an in g-tube is hard to maintain for long periods of time until we have an answer so we went back and we got a g-tube in and I bawled my eyes out like a baby Because at that point, that was like his first like actual surgery, right? Like he'd never had anything like that. Yes. And it felt like real. Like this was not getting better. I think that like Uh during the hospital stay too, it was like, this isn't going away. This isn't getting better. It's not simple. It's getting worse and it's getting scarier with nothing coming back as anything you know yeah and like going back to like when he initially had that ng2 placed you know through his nose yeah where you said oh good it's just temporary like that was the yeah. comfort you were giving yourself like it's okay yes. it's not gonna stay forever and so I imagine too that like that g-tube surgery like where they're surgically putting that into his belly probably just felt like really symbolic of like yeah. no, I actually, this is permanent. You know, this isn't this temporary thing that I can comfort myself and being like, well, it won't be like this forever. It's just for now, you know, just to kind of get him out of this little tough spot. But it's kind of like, yeah. we're in this for the long haul. Yeah. It's like, oh, this is it. This is a long haul process and nobody has had any real answers for us. So that means we don't have a path. <laughs> like, you know, mm-hmm. you, we had no like identity as a path forward. So I can relate to those 
for that brief period of who have no diagnosis because yeah. it was like it was just terrifying and you're living day by day kind of just in this weird days like outside of the world you know outside of reality so our genetic results took about six weeks to process at this time and just to give everybody a little sense of awareness we were admitted for that g-tube in february 2020 and the labs were drawn in january of 2020 so yeah you guys know where we're going that's good timing right yeah, yeah such <laughs> right good before timing. the end of the world <laughs> yeah exactly such good timing i will say around that time we were in patient in the hospital or like even a couple days before i had looked up on nih some of isaac's symptoms and i did have an idea of what i thought his genetic condition was and it was what it is Wow! and it was one of those things where it's like I found out like one in the morning or two in the morning you know when all good thoughts happen (laughs) and I remember going to my husband and saying I think I know what Isaac has and I don't like it but the kids are smiling so I think we'll be okay you know like Mm. we'll be okay not knowing what that really meant but just seeing pictures of kids smiling I guess just like made it a little easier for me anyway so we got the call on March 25th 2020 that Isaac's genetic results came back and they had one letter shift on a gene for MCT8 deficiency or Allen Herndon Dudley syndrome and they kind of explained to us what that meant and at that time I had already known I was like yeah I know what this is this is what I thought it was and she was like well I'm not really sure we need to like reconfirm because the chances of this are so low like (laughs) yeah she's like there are only about 300 cases of this in the world you know you don't know for sure which pretty much everyone listening right now yes. is probably giggling to themselves like, oh, yeah, those low chances, those yeah. super rare diagnoses, exactly. no chance at all. It was like, oh, yes, I love playing the statistical lottery. It's so fun. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, Great fun. Yeah, so fun. I was like, well, that sucks for us, but I think this is it. That's something that I've like noticed in your story like throughout is that kind of instinct that you've had along the way of like, no, I know something's going on with this. And then they finally confirm, oh, you're right. Yes. Oh, I know something's going on with this. And then they confirm you're right. So I bet by this point, I mean, I don't know, I'm yeah. putting words in your mouth, but it probably no. was kind of like, no, I'm getting used to this whole, like, you tell me one thing, but I deep down inside yes. know quite differently. Yeah. And I think it's that mommy instinct that we all have where it's yeah. like, we know our children we don't know all of the science words. We don't know all of the terminology for things, but we know something. Mm-hmm. We have that innate knowing about our children. So they gave us that call. And once she hung up, you know, my husband and I just kind of looked at each other. We found out I was a carrier of this genetic condition, of course, in like 5% of my cells. So I was like, that's sucking. <laughs> like, Wait, 5% you know, of what? Of five percent of my cells carry it, so I am a mosaic carrier of this X-linked condition. It means there's like a five to twenty-five percent chance that I can pass it on. Oh wow! Yeah, 
And she's like, but we don't really know how much prevalence you would have in your eggs. So you like might pass it on to all your offspring or you might not. So I was like, oh my this is all sorts of inconclusive. <laughs> oh. So at that time, you know, my husband and I looked at each other and I was like, this means I can't have any more children. You know, like, I know you've talked about this in other episodes, but I'll just say like, I had those thoughts. I was like, oh my gosh, I can't have more children. And I've always wanted a family and I've always wanted multiple children. And now this is taken from me. And throughout this process of Isaac being admitted in the hospital and knowing that things were going south, my leadership had let me leave work and I was separating from the military and I was leaving the nursing profession. And so that week I was separating from the military and that Friday was like my last day. And so I felt like I was losing everything. That phone call just felt like you have your precious baby is no longer well. Your life plans are no longer in your hands in that way. And your career is done. And just like all of these things. And I was like, oh, okay. So that's a lot. And that was that one phone call. Five minutes later, my husband got the call that they were going to be deploying for the COVID stuff. So he was going to be on a ship for longer than we had anticipated. And they had to sequester or kind of isolate together starting that Sunday. Oh, wow. So we got the call on a Wednesday and then he was going to be gone for a known period of time starting on Sunday. Oh my gosh. And so after like he got that call and he had to make the arrangements because he was the doctor of the ship that was going to be planning all these COVID precautions, he didn't get a chance to like have that process for himself because he had to now focus on COVID. And so then I was just with our baby, with our child that we didn't understand what to do with. And we didn't really have a a way forward, I guess, for it. And it was just heavy. (laughs) What was your thought process? Like, what did that feel like? It was the most surreal, like, unnatural feeling I can possibly imagine. It felt like the whole world had just, like, stopped. But, like, other people were experiencing, but I was just in this, like, holding place of, I don't even know what to do, like, at all. I just felt frozen, I suppose. That's probably a good way of saying, like, I felt frozen and so unsure. And I was, like, how did this happen to me? You know, like, all of this, like, all of it. This was everything kind of crashing down all at once. And it felt, I guess, both really terrifying, but then also I held on to this thought, like, there has to be a reason. Like, there has to be a reason that everything is falling apart in this very beautiful tragedy. Yeah. And hopefully, I mean, I'm pretty religious, but like, I was like, I feel like God is pruning me very strongly here. (laughs) Mm. but I was like okay I am being humbled and that's awful it sucks Mm. but hopefully it's going to do something good for the world somewhere 
So did that feeling of like having that hope of, okay, this sucks, like all of this just sucks, but like there has to be a reason behind it. Did giving it meaning in that way help you get through it? Like, do you feel like that's what sustained you? Yes, most definitely. And I will say that that feeling, that knowing that we've had has sustained us throughout every part of this process and of this journey that we've had with Isaac. And I'm very grateful for that because there have been so many scary decisions, as I know many of us all know in this community, where there is really no right answer. It's like you're going with your gut and you're hoping that gut is okay and like on the right path, but you are going in uncharted waters and there's no evidence-based practice on like what the right step forward is. And so you do rely heavily on whatever faith, whatever hope or, you know, similar understanding you have. So I will say I am grateful that in that moment, we got that glimmer, I guess, of like, there's something bigger. I love that. That leads us into really well, kind of my wrap up question, which is, have you seen that? Have you seen like that greater purpose in your life? Do you feel like there are ways that you're like, oh, I can see the good that has come into our lives because of this thing that is really hard and didn't make any sense in the beginning, but do you feel like you've had some of that clarity? Yes. And I'll kind of like wrap up the last couple of years with this. So Mm -hmm. even though in the beginning, like COVID, we didn't get the same opportunities for like clinical trials because of the world shutting down at that time, when we were able to get into a clinical trial for one of the medications that's available, I posted about it for Isaac and it was an incredible change in him. I saw his face light up. I saw his body start to work in ways that I could tell he had been struggling with before. And so I shared pictures of like my kid holding his head up, not consistently, but like enough. And it was like, there's hope. Our kids can feel better. And so I felt very grateful that we were able to share that. So I've even had messages from other moms in our community that they saw pictures of Isaac doing well. And so they ask their doctors about it. And then after, you know, we had that medication for about six months, we decided to pursue some therapy options such as vibration therapy for Isaac. And so we bought him a vibration therapy plate to help with spasticity and muscle coordination and some other difficulties with his muscles for him. It helps with just the tone as well. And With that use, he had a remarkable improvement in his spasticity of his legs, so much that the local hospital was really interested in what we were doing with him. And so we were able to present it to him, and then they got one for their hospital. And so then other kids at that hospital are now using that vibration plate and seeing improvements in their muscle strength and coordination and being able to do things that they weren't able to do before. And we just also donated another one to his therapy center that he's at now. And so we're hoping to continue to help these other children, all inspired by my little Isaac. Mm. So I guess it's like we get to share these 
things that help him along the way. And it inspires other parents and other families to see hope for their children, even if they don't have the same condition as Isaac, but perhaps some of the same struggles so that they can also experience a little bit of improvement in some really hard symptoms of managing the diseases. That makes sense. And I think there is something that feels so healing and good to do something to improve the experience for people who are going through similar things, right? Like being like, okay, yeah. like I would have loved for someone else to, you know, tell me about this or, or maybe you're grateful yeah. that, you know, how you found out about it and, and that improved yeah. your life. And so to kind of pay that forward and be like, I'm going to help other parents too, to be able to access this thing that's given me hope and improved our yeah. lives. Yeah. I know I've felt that too. Like even just I mean, this is like different, but like with the podcast yeah. of being like, okay, I wish I would have had this. Yes. In the, especially in the earlier, you know, the first couple of years. And so like to be able to do something to be like, oh, cool. Like, I don't know. I guess it's just this feeling of like each of us yeah. being in this realm or this community and like just doing little things to improve the experience for people who are coming after us, I think feels really yes. good because we know that people were doing that for us and our experience right. is better exactly. now because of what they've done. And so I think, yeah, I love that. Yeah. I mean, it's really sad that we had to go through so many difficult challenges and we will continue to experience many things. But I think, like you said, it's like we're always so grateful for the people who have paved a way before us. And we hope that we can continually leave it a little bit better Mm -hmm. for the people behind us. And even though I would never wish this disease on anybody's child and I wish I could cure it with anything I'm so grateful that we've had that opportunity throughout this journey to find ways to still improve life for others along the way so yeah holding on to that piece of gratitude is just so important and so meaningful yeah finding that purpose yes that Well, thank you so much, Brianna. I loved our conversation and I'm just so grateful for your willingness to share your thoughts and your feelings and your story with us. Thank you so much. I'm so honored to be a part of this podcast. The greatest honor in the world. Oh, I love that. Thank you. You can find adorable photos of Brianna and her family on the website, therarelifepodcast.com or by following her on Instagram. Links to do both are in the show notes, as well as links to follow me there or to become a financial supporter of the podcast. We also have links to a couple of episodes related to today's episode. Episode 78 with a mom whose rare diagnosis took years to determine and episode 99 about deciding whether or not to have additional children after you've had a child with medical complexities. So check those episodes out as well if you're interested. Join us next week for Brianna's special topic episode all about connecting with non-speaking children. It's a beautiful one. Don't miss it. See you then.